Hello, and welcome to Somewhat Damaged. Don't worry, you're in the right place. I'm still your host, Greg Alperin, and while the name may have changed, the unhinged and unfiltered comedy stays the same. Sit back, relax, and listen to the hot and fresh new episode. Buckle up. Yeah, I, you know, I... I would love to talk about that because I, th- I think, you know, I saw that post as everyone did and you got a, a ton of, you know, awesome and supportive feedback. Um, you know, I'm really curious as to how, like what, how you decided to like kind of come out with that, you know, on Instagram and, and social and stuff and kind of address it there. Yeah. Um, I just felt like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm often transparent anyways. And, you know, it's like, you know, social media, it's like, it's a lot of people you do know, a lot of people that you don't. Right. And um, it kind of was like, it's a great way to explain a lot of behavior. Sure. <laughs> and like, hey, you know, uh, again, in, in some ways, like an autism diagnosis post is an apology without being an apology. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally good. Um, Help, it helped me like really understand um, some mistakes I've made. You know, that, that's the thing. It's like, you know, with the diagnosis, like I had to like really look back at different social interactions and be like, oh, when was this the autism and when was I just an asshole? <laughs> um, you know, and really dig deep on that stuff. Um, but I just also felt like, yeah. I feel like social media is so much about portraying what you want to be as opposed to who you are. Right. And I, I love when people are refreshing and honest, you know, I, I saw, uh, you know, Rosebud Baker posted like a very uh, personal Instagram yeah. story about her, um, you know, right. birthing history and right. like, and it's so refreshing and inspiring as opposed to just like the, you know, the fakeness of everything yeah. or yeah, for sure. I mean, some of it's real, but it's like when you, you know, I, I think like it's also unhealthy um, because, you know, we compare our lives to just these pictures we see. Sure. Even though like, I mean, you know, especially like within the last year, everyone was suffering in some way. Like we all uh, are going to come out of this pandemic with some collective trauma. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like some people lost family members um, through COVID. Some people lost family members through conspiracy theories. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, you you say that about the social media and it's so true. Like, everyone, you know, you see those funny pictures sometimes where it's like the, the real me and then the Instagram me, you know, and it's yeah. like someone like laying on bricks, you know, and then the next picture is them laying on like a beach and, you know, with a margarita or something. And it, it really is, tr- you know, like what's the, what's real, what's, what's Memrex. You but know? it's funny though, Mike, I mean, people will, will always have this conversation that like, Hey, you know, like, um, I appreciate when, you know, especially when comics, when comics or athletes, they put out, um, you know, something about maybe if it's political and they say, you know, stick to telling jokes or stick to playing basketball, but you can, you can, you can say something so, you know, uh, uh passion that, uh, you know, something that's, that's, that's so dear to your heart and something that's so raw and real and the, the outpour is great, but what's the difference between you doing that and, you know, telling people about your diagnosis, but you saying that, Hey, Trump's a piece of shit. No, there is, I mean, there isn't much um you know because yeah it's like if you're just expressing who you are but i mean and that's the thing too we have to realize some of like the vain posts and, and things like that that's sometimes who people really are too yeah totally 100 <laughs> percent. you know um <laughs> a lot but, of douches out there yeah i mean it was it was really interesting um you know with with the pandemic like you know, influencers like had to like some of them had to recalibrate, and you know, some of them were just still like taking the pictures they normally would outside and things like that. And you know, some of them in these countries like Italy, and <laughs> people were like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> like but you're, you're such and and in a bubble." Um, 
But I think, yeah, I mean, people will always say stick to comedy and, and shit like that. And, and you know, to, to, to what I say, you know, I agree with that if I'm on stage. Right. You know, if I'm doing comedy, I'll stick to comedy. But even then, within comedy, it's like you can, you know, be confessional. You can, like... I feel, you know, and, and I made this mistake and I think a lot of people do, you know, we try to define what comedy is and like, um, you know, the people who cherry pick and, you know, so like Hannah Gadsby's special, is that comedy or is it not? Is Bo Burnham's new special comedy or not? And it's like, it could all be comedy. Like, sure. Why limit it, um, you know, into this like, small box because what you're basically doing is you're just trying to take this whole art form and make it into just what you see it as but it's like it's fine if there's other people that are different i mean i, I it took me a long time to realize that but especially like if you want everyone to do comedy the way that you do it or the way that you believe comedy should exist then a lineup's going to be pretty boring yeah and you're not even going to be special or unique or stand out Right. You know? So, so what? What made you, you know, after all this time, you know, and and age, go decide to take, you know, that interview and see, you know, if there was something going on, you know, on the autism spectrum? Like, what what drove you to do that at this point? Um, I'm in the um, adoption process with my wife, so we're we're gonna be parents, right? Um, at some point. And Congratulations! Thank you, and. Uh, so that was it really in terms of like, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, you know, because I, I feel like I have pushed people away that, you know, I do have like social problems and things like that and interactive things. And, and, and I was able to like chalk it up to, you know, that's okay. <laughs> then I think in, in the idea of, of being a father, it made me be like, you know what? Like there are certain things that you have to do or certain aspects of yourself that you have to be, you know, that you just um, have to do, you know, it's like, I have anxiety about making phone calls, um, you know, making appointments and things like that about being put on hold. Like it just causes me a lot of anxiety, but I can't, and I can do that for me. I could put off, stuff for me but when i'm having a kid i can't put off calling the pediatrician i can't yeah. put off all these different things because then i'm just i really am a monster i'm an asshole i'm a selfish person <laughs> you know and, and and the same thing you know with with the autism uh you know the social interactions with other parents with other kids you know with my own kid and and really um understanding um what makes me tick and why I am the way that I am. I, I thought that, that was really important to right. find in out. Your mind, was it a setback with your diagnosis or was it something that was just kind of like almost this like awakening? Shoulders? Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was a revelation. I mean, it was just, it really made things make so much sense um, in, in certain places. And I'm like, oh, okay. But like I said, it's also, you know, but then what you have to do is you, you can't use it as an excuse. You can't just be like, well, autism, you know, every time you have to be like, okay, well, all right. What are the things like in, in terms of sensory stuff, like what really gets me and how can I adjust for that? And how can I really think about this, you know, and how can I treat my autism, you know, because just the diagnosis on its own doesn't, Right. Do anything. It's what you do with that knowledge. I mean, your kid's gonna have a lot of trains. I can only assume. <laughs> <laughs> Already a lot of action figures. Uh, he's gonna definitely. The child's gonna grow up in a house with a lot of toys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, that wasn't given with the <laughs> one. Like it's though. Yeah, yeah, that's already the case. So. <laughs> I, the the one part that stuck out on on your post uh, on Instagram about it was you ended the post saying that the 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 summary said that you you came in well groomed and well dressed. Yeah. So I'm curious as to like <laughs> what did you wear to the Zoom interview and what did you make of that when you read it? <laughs> it made me question the whole thing. Honestly, <laughs> uh, I, I was wearing 
a comic book t-shirt, you know, right. of, of my many. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, basically, yeah, what I'm wearing now, I know it's an audio podcast, but, um, yeah, some kind of comic book t-shirt. And, and I wrote in the post, and this was true, that the woman that was doing the diagnosis, um, you know, she was asking me, because the, the way that it worked was, yeah, there was um, one part on Zoom. So there was an interview on Zoom. Um, which normally is done in person, but COVID moved, so that was on Zoom. And then there was like a whole survey and questionnaire that I had to fill out. And then the last was an in-person um, test uh, right. to see like cognitive skills and things like that. And oh, and also I had to talk to my parents. That was one of the things they asked me to do, and that was that was tough um, because it, it's hard to talk about things like that without your parents getting defensive i feel yeah, yeah. you know and so it was interesting because my mom was like i, I tried the best i could <laughs> yeah. i i didn't know you couldn't smoke <laughs> you're pregnant at the time uh you know it's all it was like yeah, it's fine i'm like I'm, I'm okay you know let's talk about this and it was interesting and i talked to my dad and my dad was like oh yeah i probably have that too yeah. <laughs> how much like have you thought about how it might have impacted your writing through the years and and you know how you've gone about your sets and performing and stuff oh yeah yeah for sure um i think you know there's like strengths and weaknesses um i i think you know the, the talk about the strengths is that i don't um failure doesn't bother me as much um you know, the fear of public speaking and, and things like that. Uh, but then I had to think about that too, you know, with like, you know, roasting and roast battling and, and yeah. then in that world that, you know, such a, a big part of my life and, you know, uh, for better or worse, my, my main identity as a comic, you know, that's, yeah. that's what I'm mainly known as to uh, a lot of people. And, um, and I had to like think about how, my inability to make eye contact at times and to uh, socially like interact made it easier for me to say mean shit. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's also because like whatever I was roasting, um, I mean, roast battling, like I never absorbed or felt anything the other person was saying. Right. That's pretty and cool. I think some of that was my autism. Right. <laughs> like, I, I could go back and I could watch and you know, and I could appreciate a good joke, but I was like, I was so intense. Oh, God um, forbid they tried to touch your face. Oh, you'd freak the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And um and super uh, you know, myopic. It's like I, I think like it's a strength, you know, within within that um world where it's like and I, I mean, and it's something I, I could do in a writer's room, you know, I can see things from a different angle um, and I could process fast. Like, and so it's like when I, when I'm interviewing for writing jobs, that's how I pitch myself. It's like, I will give you a bunch of jokes quickly. And, um, you know, because it's like, it's hard for me to decide which ones are good and which ones are bad. Right. Um, but I can just push out a bunch of volume. Right. What so so of you know obviously you've written on some incredible stuff I mean, Schumer crashing what what like do you think is you know the the not necessarily the best writing that you've done but the most well taken to from the audience um I mean in some ways it you know it it would be roast battle uh, right in the sense that um you know it's such like a specific craft. And I mean, it's the, well, it's the one that like, you know, I get credit for. Sure. You know, when you write on a show, you're a part of a, a group yep. of a team, you know, and people, people will tell you this all the time, you know, my episode of the show aired and, and this and that. And it's like, that's the one with your name on it for the most part, yeah. because, uh, you know, especially in narrative writing, it's, it's a collaborative process. Right. You know? But I mean, you've, you've been nominated for awards. Right, and one um, for for right, didn't you win an, an award or WGA award or was it yeah, not for triumph? Yeah, 
Right. So, I mean, that's got to sort of stand out. <laughs> oh, no, it's great. And it's, but you know, it's like, but that, you know, and that, I, like I said, that's where like, I think the autism helps. Like the way that that job worked was, you know, Smigel would go to these different places and, you know, basically ask for a prompt. Okay. I'm going to the RNC. Give me a bunch of questions to ask. Okay. <laughs> I'm meeting with Mike Huckabee. What should I say? And then you just send stuff. Right. Well, there's got to be an, I mean, listen, one of my favorite times that I kind of saw you in action was crashing um, when you were shooting at the club. And I had this conversation. I've had this conversation with Artie on uh, on podcast before was that fateful day at Santa New York when he came in all fucking bugged out of his head and was cut from the show. Yeah, How yeah. fast did you guys like write at that moment? Because I saw I remember Judd came in the room, uh, came came through and then you and then I remember uh, Greg was Greg was running around and then you guys walked across the street with Pete and Amy. I mean, does are, do you thrive in those situations when you have to do a complete rewrite like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're just trying to um, make the best thing possible and you have to. If, if I remember that specific situation, I don't think that he, I think he was like shooting like one brief scene at the end of the day or okay. something. Uh, so it wasn't. You know, the, the the bigger issue I think was that the next day his his character was in the stuff a lot more. But even then, yeah, we just recalibrated and things like that because it's like I think, you know, in that in that specific situation, which was very sad, it's like, yeah, the most important thing is you know, his health and well being also. And <laughs> so you're not gonna just <laughs> All right, well, he has to be in there. No, you think, okay, all right, so how can we do this instead and this and that? And I mean, I mean, and you know, the the reality is like I, I could say this about every every writing job and, and this would be like um the best piece of advice that I can give uh in, in TV writing or probably any writing, but it's like you start off making the best show that you can think of and then you end up just trying to make the best show that you are allowed to. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's interesting um, because there are so many, you know, limitations and things like that in television and we watch, you know, and I do this too, you know, well, why wasn't it like this? And why wasn't it like that? And there's always reasons and there's always behind the scenes stuff and, you know, determining points as to why something changed. Like, you know, this scene would have been so much better if, you know, it's like, um, yeah, they thought of that. <laughs> they yeah. tried to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, how, you know, looking at crashing, right? So, like, how, with, with that being said, like, how do you look at the, the end result? You know, I thought, you know, I thought it was, you know, a really good show. I think that um, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, I know it was criticized by, by people within the, the comedy community, which I, I feel like any show about stand-up sure. um, and, and, and especially like someone coming up, you know, um, would have been in, in certain ways. Uh, and But I, I think, you know, like we did the best we could. Um, it was a fun summer. I mean, ultimately... I, I think like it, it really should be said that, you know, when you write on a show, you look back on it based on your experiences there and less about like the show itself. Right. You know, and it, and it's funny because like, you know, some of the, the worst stuff that I've, I've made were some of the most, fun experience <laughs> so is that the, the best stuff i've worked on it wasn't the best experiences yeah you and, know, I, uh, yeah what were you gonna say no i was gonna say i i think you know whenever 
um, you know, people who are involved in any particular field or sport or whatever are watching something about their particular sport or field, you know, it's going to be very hard to sell them that that's the greatest depiction of their of their trade, right? Because they're going to look at it from the eyes of, oh, that that wouldn't happen that way or that was yeah. kind of bullshit. That would never happen in a club. So, you know, to me, I love that show. I thought the show was great. I thought it was incredibly well written. It was always fun to watch. And as a stand-up comedy fan, like I'm super disappointed it didn't come back anymore. <laughs> yeah, and as someone who was, uh, you know, uh, paying their rent and getting health insurance, um, <laughs> and I, uh, no, no, and I, I mean, like I said, it was a, yeah, because I moved to LA in 2017, and then I got that job in 2018. And had to be in New York for the summer. And yeah, that was such a fun summer. I was on set with Greg Fitzsimmons and Vanessa Ramos and um, you know Solomon Giorgio and Ian Edwards were in the writer's room. Um, this great uh, assistant who was really funny, um, who co-wrote the uh, Jewish episode, Yoni Weinberg. Uh, Judah Miller was the head writer, who was like one of the best bosses I had. Um, you know, we were doing, yeah, like 12-hour days. And it's like... You know that's a long time, but yeah. I really love the the people that I worked with. It was such a fun time, and you know, yeah, you would just get assignments like, okay, um, this person's gonna walk in and say something about Pete's shirt, and then you know, here's the shirt, and then you just write a bunch of stuff, <laughs> you know, and 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 the way that you know Judd works um, is like he really wants a lot of options, right, and. Um, so that whole yeah, like volume. How does that work though, Mike? When you're when you're writing a a, a joke for Voss or Natterman to say about Peachard or Yamanika, how do they take for another comedian, you know, at their same level, telling them what to say off of it? I think it, you know, it, it all depends. It's like, I, I think, you know, they're given the freedom to do what they want. You know, like every every comic that was, was booked on that show, I would say was booked because of, of who they are and what they do. Then if they want these other options, they can have them. Mm -hmm. You know, like, for instance, there was a, a, a an episode where we were all riffing on Pete. And I was I was in that episode um, where he goes out with his new girlfriend and he has the bag of sex toys. And we're all making fun of him. And, you know, uh and that was weird for me because that's like that's my boss, and I'm to like, actually make fun of. <laughs> and uh, you know, and, day, though. And, and one of the people that 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 did it was was a tell, and you know, and yeah, so we had we had jokes written for everybody to give, but it's like yeah, giving jokes to one of the the greatest comics <laughs> of the, the most one of the most brilliant comedic minds yeah it was intimidating but you know he looks at him and he's like i'll do this one and this one and you know and then he goes up and he does like five to like 10 minutes of his own like brilliant shit <laughs> which which that's what makes it in yeah um, but you know it's like it, it it just all depends on the comic you right know? i but, mean Judd really wanted to showcase um, the comedy scene. And, and I feel like it did. To yep. an extent. Yeah. I really do. And I hate to kind of keep on harping on, but like, you know, I was proud of watching, I was proud watching Crashing and what you guys were doing over there. Because, yeah, what it did though is give a, give a spotlight on every single club. I mean, granted, you guys highlighted the Boston, which doesn't even exist anymore, but still, the idea of the cellar and like, you know, being up the Carolines and utilizing our club was, was so cool because it kind of gave us, I don't know, uh, just it just it just showcased you know everybody and it showcased the barking aspect of it um and yeah does that all happen but like i don't know i mean i i remember hearing from the up-and-comers that i was like add yeah, something like that but i was like you know what if this show can stick around this is something that you might have the opportunity to like be on yeah one, you know what i mean so i don't know sometimes i feel like there's this crab mentality that we that we deal with in in our business and you know but it's great to hear that you know like you are you're you guys are having a good time kind of like roasting each other and having even having 12 hour shifts and being able to like you know, like, you know that was a fun fucking summer yeah for sure and and it was all about like respecting the comics 
that were there and appreciating the comics and you know like i said any they they weren't hired as actors they were hired as comedians, as comedians you know to, to to be themselves and, and they're still acting um, <laughs> you know especially if it's like a scene that requires a certain action but at the same time it was always like improv was like highly suggested and you know pete did a really great job of like being kind of like this this cheerleader it was awesome um you know like because one of the things you know that you'd have to do is like shoot performance scenes you're shooting stand-up scenes um you know and that's not easy with like a bunch of extras um you know sometimes at like two in the afternoon yeah or you know at the end of a shoot at like you know 10 and 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 they've been there a while and he was always like i want you guys just to have the best time and uh he was very um like respectful and classy because yeah we we did shows all over the place you know anywhere that you saw a show on the um in an episode like we did that you know like there was the 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 one that i co-wrote um where they go on the road gig like we went to uh, levity live yeah Yeah. and you know we were doing like yeah those were like morning shows yeah (laughs) curtain and showing that there's more than just the club scene like first of all the alliance as somebody who books a shit ton of jewish comics you know at the club in the upper west side you know, showing the Jewish aspect and showing Elon and Modi, like that was something, a niche comedy, that was huge to see. Seeing somebody like whoever does warm-ups uh, for shows. I mean, yeah, yeah we're, you guys are some, some some people, you know, Mercurio, you know, does Colbert and, you know, uh, and there's so many different comics that do warm-ups for like these shows, like The View, and it's like, yeah, like this is part of it. Sure, all of them. So I, I, w- I want to play a little game. Um, what What came first? Comics, wrestling, or comedy for you? Um, I'm going to say comic books, then wrestling, and then comedy. Although my my mom was a stand-up, so I knew about stand-up, but it was was definitely not something I was passionate about. Like, you know, often the thing that your parent does is just the thing that your parent does. Right. Um, And, you know, and I was raised joint custody, so I wasn't like, surrounded by um, a comedian mom all the time it was like half the time and i think a lot of the gigs that she did uh would be on the weeks that i wasn't there right um but i do remember you know her talking about comedy i i saw a few of her shows and things like that but yeah comic books it's i mean just from the earliest age and then um like the Secret Wars action figures. I was born in 83. Right. So those were big. And, and I have a brother that's three years older. Um, those uh, Archie Digest at the grocery store. Sure. That was like a big gateway yep. for me. Um, and uh, the, then the Marvel trading cards that came out in like 90 and 91 that had like the um, power levels on the back and the descriptions of each character. Um, I just got more hooked and more hooked and then they had better, better action figures and, you know, and then like 92 comes around, I'm nine years old and you have Batman, the animated series and X-Men, the animated series. And so, (laughs) so what, you know, looking at like even, I mean, your website, you know, your personal website for, for all your stuff is obviously very comic booky. Right. And the art's great. And I, I like, you know, your version of you as like Wolverine, right? Like, is that, is Wolverine like your guy or is that just something you, you had done for you? Yeah. Something I had done for me where yeah, he's not, he's not my guy, but I was like, yeah, he's, he's a popular guy. Right. I'll go with a more popular one. Um, like the thing is probably my favorite and, uh, but the fantastic four. Um, yeah. I was going to say, cause that, that stuff, it's very, very sad, but they are not given the respect. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. It's, I mean, I, I, I have, a, I kind of know why I think it's because it's not actually part of the, the Disney Marvel universe. It's part of that stuff that they did with Sony. I believe it's Sony who made those movies and has uh, the right. Fox. 
Oh, Fox, right, right. So <laughs> they definitely don't show it the love, but that 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 image of you as 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 thing that's on your site is pretty friggin' cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and that was uh, this man, this monster from issue fifty one, and that's like like one of the best thing stories. So yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, if you can, and then listen, I mean, I'm not a comic book fan, but I can see the idea of why get it because I'm a huge wrestling mark like you. Um, and the idea that, you know, and, and I think Vince actually has said, Vince McMahon said that like, it's live action comic books. You know what I mean? These are, you know, we remember the golden age of the WWF, WWE. I mean, like Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior were a comic book. Like they were like out of the pages and onto your screens and you could touch and feel them. And you could see them beat people up. Um, you know, I remember how everyone was chastising. One of my biggest things is I never, I, I've always wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on the whole Sergeant Slaughter becoming an Iraqi sympathizer? And <laughs> I, mean, I always want to know that because I think it was, it was, I mean, we did it with, I mean, Captain America did it where he fought the Nazis. This just seemed like the perfect thing for Hogan to do. Um, Wait, so, so Mike, yeah, you. You wrote on the you, right. You wrote on the savage, right? Macho Man. Yeah, I did the research for it. Right. Yeah, I'm uh, the director. Yeah. Is, is I was priming to that, Greg. Oh, were you? Because <laughs> is that the one? Is that the one where they talked about the Sergeant Slaughter like flipping? Um. Well, Savage was a part of that. Savage did the run in to cost Warrior the belt. Um. But I I don't know if they probably I don't know if they talked about it that much on there. Uh, one of them, but I'll talk about my wrestling fandom, and then I'll answer the question. Uh, I was a warrior guy, I, you know, and it's because you were asking, what well, was it? You know, was it comic books or, or, or wrestling or comedy? Um, it was comic books, and then my love of comic books yet yeah, allowed me to like wrestling, you know. Yeah, and Vince McMahon was always like, "We make movies," you know, <laughs> and I mean, you know, the whole term sports entertainment, like the real reason he said that was so he wouldn't have to pay athletic commissions their cut anymore. But you know, it's a, it's a fun word. Um, but yeah, I was like super into WWF, and I was born in Florida, and it, it's interesting because um, I, I co-host a podcast called Russell Roast. Yep. Um, you and Dan Saint Germain, right? Yeah, it was Saint Germain, Scott Chaplin, yeah. and uh, this guy Robert Carpolis, who was a former WWE writer, and he um, runs the WWE Creative-ish uh, Twitter. So. It's the four of us. We pick a wrestler every week and we write jokes about them, but we also talk about what we love about them. And um, uh, the most recent one we did was Sting. Yeah. And, you know, in Florida, I had access to both. I could have watched WCW or I could have watched um, WWE, but I grew up on the WWE, I'm going to say F, WWF product. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. Sure. And Always will be. Um, and I loved it, and and then I saw Sting, and that was like bargain basement warrior to me. I remember going to a KB, and the WCW figures were on clearance, and I was such like a WWF guy, and um, and I actually um, yeah. So the Iraqi sympathizer thing, the first show that I went to live was the Royal Rumble '91 at the Miami oh. arena and that's when Slaughter won the belt. <laughs> and I was I I didn't even know that much about like he was I was eight, like the, the politics of it all. I was just upset that my dude lost. <laughs> right. Just furious that that my boy <laughs> and, I, and I did I didn't like Hogan even back then. So like Hogan won that rumble and Warrior lost. So I was just really disappointed that night. And it was it was like my because that was January, and I was born on January 14th, so that was my birthday present. Oh, fuck. To watch, like, my hero fall. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but the sympathizer... Did you wear the warrior paint? Did you carry a sign when you went to the show? No, no, I, 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 I didn't. Um, I, always, I, I always think back and harken back to, like, somebody like Sam Roberts, who, like, dressed up as gold dust. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the because I, I remember, you know, the the Iraq the Iraq War. If you were like eight years old, for the most part, you remember the Iraq War as that thing that was preempting whatever you wanted to watch. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, 
didn't understand the conflict and everything. You were just like, oh, this is why The Simpsons isn't on. Yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> I know that was like the first big like TV cable yeah. news war. Sure. Definitely. And yeah, a lot of stuff got postponed. So that's what I remember it as. And yeah, seeing Sergeant Slaughter as this guy who hated America. It just like I mean, now it's fun to watch. Like back back then, I was just like, what is this? Like and I I didn't really know much about I mainly knew him as a G.I. Joe guy at the time. Right. I didn't know about his like earlier runs in the company. But now when you watch it, it's just you're just watching a guy be really uncomfortable. Like he clearly doesn't want to be doing this. Totally. And it's it's funny too, like the retroactive history, like how they say that the the angle was so controversial that um, they had to move buildings for yeah, WrestleMania Seven had to be moved. The reality was they just didn't sell tickets. <laughs> I, I always wonder with you know with with Warrior that I mean he didn't wrestle he wasn't around for that long all you know cumulatively it was only yeah. like six years or something that you know how how I mean and he's huge to this day he's you know top five of WWE's like merchandise is, is still for a around. while he wasn't <laughs> but he has been for a long time yeah and um it, it just it's just wild because he didn't have that that long of a run compared to all these other guys that from the same era are still, you know, rumbling around from, you know, Flair, Hogan, Taker, like there's just tons of them. And it's just, it just kind of blows my mind that he had that much of an impact in a very short amount of time. I think it was just like, there was something about him that stuck out, you know, like, yeah, a lot of guys yelled, but they made sense and he didn't, it was cool. And you know, the fact that like, it's a big thing now with wrestling where, there's so many like affiliations. Like I, I love this uh, promotion AEW, but there's yeah. all these factions and everyone comes out in different groups. And, you know, even in the nineties, you know, you had the nation of domination with the rock and the DX and triple H. And the fact that like warrior was such a loner right? all the time, like yeah, he teamed with, you know, Savage once or whatever. Um, but, you know, he was in the Survivor Series, but everybody was in teams then. But he always felt like his own individual thing, which then you find out, like, that was really the case in a lot of ways <laughs> backstage too. But but it is interesting that, like, the WWE, like, the way that they, like, try to program the fans' minds, like, you know, they want you to look at wrestlers who just did it for the money as selfish, like – and why else would you do that schedule? Like, why else did you, you know, put your body line, through that? The line taking their ball and going home with it. Like that, like, I mean, like you look at like Austin, you know, I remember when Austin walked out of the company for, for that first time, Vince was like, was like, Austin took his ball and he went home. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, like he wasn't happy with the creative that you were going to do on it. I mean, which brings me to this next thing. I mean, as a big, you know, uh, wrestling fan and a comic book fan, is there any desire to get into the writing world because of, of the WWE or into the Marvel or DC universe? Um, definitely more the Marvel DC universe. I, I don't have the biggest desire to write for the WWE. Um, it's non-union, so that sucks. Uh, just, yeah, totally. the, the plain faced, um, you know, I'd have to think about how I'm going to get my health care, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to need it more. Um, right. no, I, I also, I know, I know people that have worked there that they, they stop being fans and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, and I feel like, I mean, I could just watch raw. And imagine how stressful that must be to work. Yeah. On. I I know I know guys that have written on it too, and and you, yeah. you know you you may as well be a wrestler for the you know you're gone the same three hundred days a year yeah. that the guys who are wrestling are gone, and it is you know a much more intense tense job as far as time goes. You know you're writing morning, noon, and night until post show, and then you're back on it again, and it's it's just a hell of a grind. Yeah. I just yeah, I wouldn't want to do that uh, for my family, for myself. And yeah. um, it's also, you know, I said the whole, like, you you try to, you know, 
make the best show you possibly can and then you make the best show you're allowed to. I feel like wrestling, you just start with make the best show you're allowed to from the beginning. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, especially with, well, within WWE. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just wouldn't be that inclined to do it with comic books. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've interviewed for things like I've had to like allow myself to not have FOMO and still enjoy stuff. You oh, know, disappeared. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's it. The whole, you know, the whole thing is all of that stuff is pretty, pretty intense, you know, especially writing on, on any of those things. How, how do you think it would compare to like the comedy writing that you've done on, on, sitcoms and um roasts and all that stuff i don't think it would be that different like i worked on upload right and that was you know world building sci-fi comedy um with a lot of emotion and i felt that that was like in many ways a comic book show it was very serialized um you know there were mysteries and things like that so i don't i don't think it would be that different i mean but yeah it's like i um I can't watch something like Bodoc and not be like, oh, I'd love to be in that room. That show yeah. was amazing. <laughs> right. What What do you think about all the TV that Marvel's putting out on Disney Plus with, with just every, like, just so, so much content? I think it's, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a real game changer where, you know, for years, I think like superhero TV had this, you know, limited ceiling and a lot of that was budget related in the way that things look and, you know, then when you do shows with the stars. Right. Um, and I think, you know, one of the benefits they have, and I, I think it's smart, is the the limited episode runs. Sure. That you go, okay, we may not, you know, you know, Mackie and Sebastian Stan may not want to do 23 episodes. Yeah. And it's also maybe this story doesn't need 23 episodes. Let's give them six. You know, um, I loved WandaVision. I yeah. thought WandaVision was like a very. I just finished it actually. Yeah. Um, I know it was a very ambitious first one for them to air, yeah. um, but it was wonderful. And, and what it ended up like exploring and, and things like that, I, I thought was great. Yeah, um, it, was, it was wild. It was wild, like wild, wild concept. I was actually, when they were f filming it long before it came out, I was lucky enough to spend some time on the set in, in Atlanta outside, you know, where they, in Pineville where they yeah, shoot yeah. and just walking those sets and, and the way they were constructing and explaining how they were going about that series. It, it, it was kind of mind blowing. Like this is pretty friggin' wild for Marvel, you know, to come out of the box with this first. Yeah. You know? And then obviously this, they were right. <laughs> like the success is incredible. Yeah, and I read some of that I, was because of COVID that it was just easier to, to wrap up right. than Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I think yeah. have more, you know, sets and locations. Sure. But I thought, yeah, it was it's also it's like you watch those shows and you're like, Oh, they have movie stars, but it's also it's like, well, these are really great actors, yeah. first and foremost. You know. Right. And then you know, like Catherine Hahn's my favorite actress, and then you put her in a Marvel show and she's camping it up and having fun. It's like Awesome. I love it. Yeah. There was a, the throwback to the nineties sitcom uh, was one of my favorite parts of that, of, of WandaVision. It kind of gave me that feel of step-by-step, step, but like how they intertwined it was just so fantastic. How about Loki? I just finished the first episode and I, I, thought, was very, I thought it was very good. I, I'm looking forward to it, but it's like, you know, Tom Hiddleston is literally is not, is it Tom Hiddleston? Hiddleston, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's doing pretty much television. Like, um, don't they say that that's like a step down from going from being a movie star and, and doing, yeah, to doing TV, streaming? Not anymore. Not anymore. I don't think so anymore. No, I think it's all, you know, I mean, it's a cynical word. It feels like, but the word content, like every everything is just content. You're always making content. Um, yeah. It's all just <laughs> content. And I think um, in terms of reach, like a ton of people are still going to watch it. Um, and if it has that level of quality that I don't think it matters. I think for them, sometimes they're excited to be able to explore these characters more. 
I mean, because it's just, just, you know, within terms of all of them, even, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I think was like the most traditional in many ways. Um, you got to see um, Sebastian Stan uh, and how he his character dealt with PTSD in a way that he's not able to. And the way that Anthony Mackie's character dealt with, you know, why he didn't want to be Captain America and, and then, you know, his choosing to be and, you know, the, all of the the racial issues that that he's dealt with and, and everything. So I think like performance wise, you know, they're able to do more. You know, it's like like you look at someone like Gandalf, you know, James Gandolfini, uh, rest in peace, and it's like you know, he was in movies and he was good in movies, but then to see him take a character like Tony Soprano over sixty episodes, you know, something like Brian Cranston, right? Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> and, then, and now it's funny because then we watch we watch Brian Cranston in a movie. We watch some of these like actors that we love from TV shows in movies, and the characters aren't as developed or you know fascinating because yeah, we're not getting you know years to watch them grow and change. Right. Yeah. I, John, I, th- I think that probably sometime around Sopranos and, you know, and, and Sex in the City and all of those things that started really coming on as super strong um, shows on HBO that kind of changed the movie star to TV star kind of world. And, and that, my frame of reference is one 30 Rock episode, actually. Yeah. With <laughs> right. <laughs> Tracy got more in on back on. It's like, is Tracy doing television? Get him off my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. True. You know, yeah, like, uh, you know, Kate Winslet and Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. Um, You know, remember like McConaughey on True Detective? Sure. That's true. Yeah. Woody Harrelson. Like, and, you know, and then they still make movies, but it's just like, hey, why not? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah. I think it started like in the late nineties, but it's definitely now a thing, you know, more so like yeah, Paul Rudd living with myself. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so I got one question for you actually. And this is, this is my final, not, not, not the final, final question, Greg, but I, uh, and this is kind of on a personal note. Um, you know, Mike, I reached out a couple uh, months ago for you to start, if you wanted to do shows yeah. out in Los Angeles, cause we started renting rooms over there. And you said you weren't doing comedy. Um, are you still not doing stand-up, or are you just choosing to kind of like take it easy right now and you know focus on that writing muscle that you've been so good at for the last you know uh, during the pandemic? I mean, not only that, I mean the Macho Man stuff and everything that you did with the A and E was fantastic. Yeah, I think right now you know, and a lot of it has to do with um, uh, pending fatherhood. Uh, I want to really just enjoy that. I don't want to be on the road. Um, the first couple years that I'm a dad, um, you know, I, I, it's interesting because like, you know, I, I haven't done stand up since the pandemic. I didn't do many virtual shows and, um, I have Crohn's I'm, I'm, uh, immune compromised. So I was very careful <laughs> and um, my, my mother-in-law moved in with us and she's very immune compromised. So we were, we didn't go anywhere. We were very um, strict and safe and sheltered. And, and I, I know, you know, friends who still toured or, you know, um, and I don't begrudge anyone who tried to make money. Uh, I just knew that it wasn't something that I could do uh, for myself. Um, and uh and virtual shows just felt weird <laughs> to yeah. me like i think i'm i'm a i'm too much of a purist but once again you know i know lots of comics who were able to pay rent that way like yeah. and in my mind i was like i was writing i was getting income that way i was like you know what that's good for me mm-hmm. um it's also yeah cuz I, I i did feel in my mind like the people who really need to be doing this now who have to pay rent um, 
through performance. Like, just let them do it. Like, this is let them get to the front of the line. I don't need to be taking spots from someone who really needs that. Um, and uh, and I look at because um, yeah, even a few years ago, if if this had happened, like I would have been, I would have been screwed. and even even then like my you know it was was a pretty slow year um i I worked on a few things but not as much i wasn't busy as much i i went through a lot of like deep depression and inactivity and things like that like a lot of people did um but then yeah once i decided you know with my wife like let's be parents um and let's be in this process um we basically you know i was like you know what i think i'm gonna just stop standing for a little bit it's also it's like yeah i live in la and i don't drive um and (laughs) and uber and lyft right now is insane (laughs) like you just you, you can't get them and if you can um they're expensive and so it was like that thought of um, every spot cost me like $50 to do <laughs> just about and the stress of that. And, and also, you know, and this helped with the autism diagnosis, a lot of doing standup was tough for me. I, I, I dealt with a lot of anxiety, um, the waiting to go up, the even being on stage. Like I would, I would go in my head, be in my head about stuff I said and, and things like that. Interacting with other comics could sometimes be tough for me. Like I was always, you know, very like robotic. When I when I go to a show that I'm performing on, I need to know um, where I'm on in the lineup, and like I need to see the booker. I need to let the booker know that I'm there for their sake too, and everything. And, um, you know, and, and it's interesting because that's not always the most social thing to do, you know, like I, I, I would go to like, you know, certain clubs and stuff and people are hanging outside and they want to talk and you, and you know, and you want to talk to them, but it's like, I'm working, working, working. And, <laughs> and I, you know, and, and I kind of came off, I feel a little cold, uh, like that. And, and I, and then I'd get in my head about it and think about who I was alienating and things like that. And it was just like a lot. And, and it's also, um, I feel like I eventually want to get back into live performance, but if I do, I think I kind of want to start over in some ways. Um, well. because I feel like when, if I do get back, you know, I'm going to be a, a diagnosed autistic dad. And that's not what I was when I left. And I want to write jokes from that perspective. And I want to be able to be a different person on stage. Like, I, I think that the pandemic did make me um, prioritize certain things. And, you know, I, I think for certain people, you know, the idea of being home all year was awful. And, and I understand that. I I liked it. You know, this was the most time I've ever got to be with my wife, and I loved it. <laughs> you know, and so there was that thought too of just, you know, what I'm gonna just take it easy um, in terms of performance. And yeah, I still work really hard. I still, yeah, write a lot. Um, I know that there are benefits to doing stand up. I know that I get writing work from doing stand up, and so. Um, it makes it a little tougher, but I just feel like, yeah, it's it the right decision for now. Right. Well, it'll, the road will take you wherever it ultimately takes you. <laughs> yeah. But I also, I'm not the kind of person who like, I'm not going to post about, that's not a thing I'm going to post about, you right. know? Like, yeah, of course. Like, anyone who does these like epic, why I quit comedy, like, cause I didn't quit. I'm just not doing it now. You right. could go on like a Motley Crue style retirement tour, like, Ten times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and 
I was going to say more of like the Terry Funk uh, <laughs> retirement match. <laughs> like, like Mike Lawrence's last show ever. <laughs> or the I, feel like, I feel like I'd be like the new Jack of stand-up just doing oh, God. the same shit, but with diminishing audiences. It's <laughs> <laughs> a reality show. There's a, there's a non-scripted show right there. But yeah, I, I just, yeah, I think, um, you know, it was funny because, yeah, you were, I remember, John, you were asking me and, and I would get anxiety and then I finally was like, you know, because I would get asked every once in a while and I'd be like, oh, I can't do this day. I can't do that day. And I'm like, but then they're just going to come back. You got to just. <laughs> yeah, I would have, I would have kept asking if you were like, no, you know, what? I'm taking a break. No problem. No problem. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. It's always, and I, and I think that like, you know, within the industry, people like get it. Like I. My, my manager, um, who I had for a few years, called me like at the beginning of last year and was like, you know, he's like, I just think, don't think I want to do this anymore and I want to pursue something else. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> I was like, go for it, man. <laughs> like, I'll there figure it out. Yeah, you got to do what's right for you. And it's also, I ultimately know there's a lot of other people that, you know, that, that you, you can ask are readily available and great comics. I mean, I think that comedy has gotten better. Like, I think that there are a lot of like amazing comics out there and, you know, uh, and I've also realized about stand up the, the amount of work that is put into it. It feels like, even more now than it ever has been in terms of social media, in terms of fan engagement and things yeah. like that. Like totally the friends of mine that I came up with who decided to do more the traditional stand-up route as opposed to the writing route or the acting route. It's like their lives and they are amazing at it. And you know, like I, I look at guys like, you know, you know, Mark Normand and Sam Morell and it's like the amount of uh, material those dudes generate is like amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's sick. To the point where if you go on stage on a show with them and you're doing stuff from two years ago, like you feel like a fraud. Sure. You know, that was the thing that I was I was dealing with too. Is that like it, it's tough because you want to keep generating material, you want to write new stuff, but then you also feel like you have to do the best that you can. And so like, I think, I think it's interesting with stand up. I think I, I started developing bad habits by doing, because I was doing bad clubs. Like I would do, you know, the worst places <laughs> in New York, um, you know, where, where people were being lied to, you know, those, those Barker, you know, Times Square places, you know, sure. if you know, you know, and, um, and it's all about just like having the best set that you can to keep people from wanting to kill you because you're the face of um, lies to them. You're you're their Loki. Right. Uh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> I remember I was in one of those clubs once and we were in the elevator and a guy, uh, there was these three British guys and they go, is Sarah Silverman and Jim Carrey on the lineup? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I am. <laughs> That's amazing. And they're like, oh. <laughs> but, um, cheerio. But it was very much like this thing of, um, you know, but the people that stayed, I was like, I got to do my best. And I would just do the same A over and over again. And I also felt that way on the road. It's like, because yeah, when you're in the city or you're doing, I mean, I, I would tell any comic, you know, do alternative shows, do club shows, do it all, yeah, um, and make sure, yeah, it's like if you're doing shows that don't charge or you're not getting paid for, like, do as much new as you want, experiment, bomb, fail, like that. That is what they're paying you in. Is that you know stage time. Um, but then if you go on the road and you're getting money for a weekend, you're kind of obligated to deliver, yeah. you know, like, sure. you know, it's like, I got in the, I got in the up to make people laugh, but then I realized like, 
I only say if I'm able to convince people um, that it was okay they spent $12 on a Heineken. Yeah. You know? You know <laughs> and, it, and there's a lot of pressure to that. It, it's funny you, you know? say that about Mark and Sam and, and just the, the, the amount of material they, they write. I, I had Mark on a few months ago and I just asked him a question about like, you know, how do you, you know, where, where's your pad? Like you might, you obviously go everywhere with your pad and like, you know, obviously lots of comedians and he pulls out of his back pocket, like the George Costanza wallet, right. That, yeah. and I, and he like pulls it up and shows it. And it, it, it was literally jokes falling out of this like wallet pad. I'm like, that's unbelievable. And it's, it's just obviously why they're so prolific. It's just tons and tons of material. And it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, like otherwise, how else are you going to work out great stuff if you're not constantly like keeping little notes on pads and things? Yeah. And it's like, it was harder for me to do that on stage than it is in a room. Sure. It's much more easy and comfortable for me to just, you know, you say, hey, I need this and just give you two pages of jokes in right. 20 minutes. That I can do. And, and a lot of people can't do that. Totally. Um, but that other aspect of it. And look, there's some people who can do it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John, John can do it all. So, John, let's let's end as we always do. Hit, hit, hit Mike with your uh, question. All right, Mike. Uh, best thing you ate this week. Today's a Friday. Best thing you've had to eat. And it could be something that you cooked. Maybe you got some takeout or anything like that. Literally anything you put in your mouth. Yeah, well, yeah. I went to this um, steak place with my wife to celebrate um, this new job that she has. And, uh, yeah, the steak was amazing. It looked great. I mean, what is that? That was... Um, Fleming's. Um, Fleming's, yeah. Did you know that the F, the, uh, the F in P.F. Chang's is actually Fleming's uh, because he actually co-owned uh, P.F. Chang's? <laughs> What's the P stand for? I don't know. I was going to make a racist joke, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Wait, so I, I want to know, how did you, what, how do you eat your, your steak? What, what, what temperature? Uh, I do medium. Um, and, uh, it's yeah, it's uh, it is that primal thing. It was it was basically it was like so much that I ended up having half of it for lunch, and you know that might be the the best thing that I ate was the microwave steak the next day. Something <laughs> <laughs> about it, I, I will tell you that. Like, I mean, did you always eat medium, Mike? Because like in my early days, I would get stuff like black and blue. Because I'm 38 now, I'm I just yeah. I'm 83 as well. So I remember just like, hey, just kiss it on the grill, and I want it served. But now it's like, I'm like, ah, like ugh, a little too much. So the next day when it's like in a nice medium well, <laughs> it's also, it's like, you know, you know, working in the service industry and, and all that for years, like I wouldn't, I would never ask for the, the least cooked because it's like, they're in a line and they're doing all this stuff. It's like, you know, medium still might be rare. Yeah. Totally. 100%. Poisonous. <laughs> I that when I, I went to this steakhouse by where I live, I live out in southern Connecticut, and I I asked it was a it was a um a bone a bone in New York strip, right? And I was like, all right, I want it medium. So they bring it out and it's on a sizzling plate, like sizzling, right? And it's and it's already cut. And I'm like, that is not medium. That is like the cow is still on the plate. Like, yeah. <laughs> so they, they were, and I started eating it. And I mean, I, I love rare meat, but this was too much for me. And I said to them, like, I, I don't think this is like, I asked for, you know, this is not my, the temperature. And they're like, well, you have to cook it on the plate. And I, and I was like, wait, and I'm like, your responsibility is to cook the meat. Mine is to eat it. <laughs> hey, if you go to like a Korean barbecue plates and you know that that's what it is, that's right. one and even that. even then it's like when i go to those places like i make sure like i never just take it off myself i'm like this is good right this is yeah good. yeah <laughs> yeah so john what uh, about you what was your best i will say uh mike last night and uh greg you saw it as well i was able to sit down at the olive tree last night and have wings and those are by far my favorite wings in the city um and I'm sitting there and like literally like 
Jay Jordan was behind me, uh, a couple other LA comics, and like I wanted to like turn around and say hello, but I was so engrossed with the chips and the, the blue cheese and everything, I just didn't even say. It. I got up, paid my bill, and literally everyone's like, "You were just there the whole time." I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm eating my wings, guys. Like I'm not here for work. Like this is just this is just just me eating." And then uh, yeah, that was the best thing I ate all week. Greg, what about hey, you? Hey, I'm out. So you didn't get the hummus or Aunt baba ganoush or anything. You just got straight wings. <laughs> I go for the wings over there. Oh. I am a huge fan of the wings. Uh, the uh, they used to have, they, they have, they have these stick skewers sometimes when I'm like a little bit half in the bag at Fat Black that'll go and go and have, but that's not <laughs> even open. But that- I was missing. I haven't had those wings in 18 months. I don't think I've had so them good. ever in the in, since I moved to New York City in 1992. Anyway, oh. um, I'll mine. I made uh, a pork chop last night on the grill, just straight oh. pork chop. And with uh, some shaved jalapeno relish Ooh. and olive oil, just simple, delicious. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So, Mike, thank you very much. We obviously appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Mike, thanks yeah. so much. Hey, Everything just to let you know, um, since you're not taking any bookings, I've been dealing with the second place winner of uh, Roast Battle, Matthew Broussard. So, I've been, he's got <laughs> <all> your book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Thank you. you look, much. We look the same, so uh. <laughs> <laughs> they're interchangeable. <laughs> All right, man. We'll Thanks, buddy. Later, Mike. Bye.